0: Project management concepts may seem tough at times, but not to worry. You have a coach who makes it as easy as ABC. Here he is to set things straight for you. Your friend, Phil. Hello, my friends. How are you doing? It's your buddy, Phil here, project management trainer and coach. Today is day eight, and we're talking about negotiating project agreements. The task, it simply states in the people domain, task eight, negotiate project agreements. Agreements could be a number of things, not just contracts. We could have letters of agreement, right? We could have letters of intent. We could have verbal agreements. So how do you tackle these? They say analyze the bounds of the negotiations for the agreement. So what are you really negotiating? What is the boundary around what you're negotiating? That is the first thing you should be thinking about. What is out of bounds? What is within bounds? It's definitely worth consideration so that needs to be your number one thought secondly you need to assess priorities and determine ultimate objectives so going into a negotiation you should always ask yourself what is the big ticket thing that I need to negotiate what is a big ticket item that I care the most about see and we call that analyzing the bounds of the negotiation and then assessing the priorities. Some things are definitely going to be top priority and other things are just not worth worrying about, right? Or not worth pursuing with all vigor. Some things you could let them go in a negotiation because you know that the best thing you're looking for, the best outcome you're looking for is X or Y. So that needs to be defined. So assess your priorities coming into a negotiation and determine what do you want ultimately, whatever that looks like. Next, you're gonna verify the objectives of the project agreement. Make sure that those objectives are met. Remember though, there's one thing that should be at the back of your mind that is not explicitly mentioned in here and you could be tested on the exam in this one. It's the concept of what am I really looking for? In the negotiation you're looking for a win-win outcome that's what you need to be thinking about win-win in other words you win and the other party wins and you collaborate and you work together to get to that optimum outcome it is possible because everyone wants something from a negotiation and it is possible to have dialogue and to work together remember though the Agile Manifesto talks about customer collaboration over contract negotiation so whatever you're looking to negotiate it's very important you have win-win in the back of your mind such that both parties walk away satisfied it is possible and that is always the best alternative that is always the best outcome all right so verifying that the objectives of the project agreement is met That comes next. So there are two ways to look at this. Going into a negotiation, ensure that your objectives are met, but at the same time, after the negotiation, let's say you have struck a deal. Let's say you've gotten to an agreement. Your job as the project manager is to verify that the objectives of the agreement are actually met. We're talking about, okay, we've gotten to agreement, Let's ensure that the objectives of this agreement are actually met. So there's quite a lot of stuff that the project manager, scrum master, facilitator, whoever that role that the question depicts is, right, there's quite a lot of stuff for this individual to do. So just keep this in mind. Now when it comes to negotiating, we've talked about the concept of anything, but I want to talk specifically about story points. Because when it comes to story points and negotiating uh, features and value that the customer is looking for, it also falls into this domain. So think about it like this. You have customers that want certain features. These features, think of them as costing story points, right? There's only so many story points your team can do in a sprint. So if the customer is asking you to do the impossible, Let's say that's 250 story points. How are you going to do that? When your velocity has always been 150. You know that you shouldn't be promising the world. You know you cannot achieve that based on your empirical data. Right? So when you're coming in to a negotiation such as that, very importantly is the data. Right? And the candor because you don't want to promise the impossible. So you always want to have something we call trade-offs. In the world of the PMI, these are quite big because the project manager is meant to apply the concept of trade-offs, the concept of having someone buy into an alternative. And it takes skill to do that, but it's one of the things the project manager is expected to do. Okay. Obviously, in all of these discussions, you should be participating. So it says, participate in agreement negotiations. You gotta remember that there are different types of negotiations. There's straight old bad negotiating, sly, dirty, ruthless negotiating. You don't wanna be like that. You wanna have good negotiating, ethical, remember? Someone from the world of the PMI you should always be thinking about that ethical ethical inc- incline in everything you do so you want to have that natural okay is this above board if it's not above board I'm not gonna do it like lying in a negotiation just to win it no all of those things are poor and that's why in the world of the PMI right up front we talk about verbal agreements you are expected to uphold verbal agreements. If you agreed to something, even if it's not documented, you're meant to uphold it, you see. That is one of the ways we need to be thinking about this stuff, Okay. In closing, the final enabler states, determine a negotiation strategy. There's something we call best alternative to a negotiated agreement. What is the best alternative to what you're looking right call it the batna Uh, so what is your batna what is your best alternative to what you're trying to negotiate if x doesn't work maybe y will work okay and if if y doesn't work what is the bare minimum that you will go for it's just a good way of negotiating for you to come with something in mind but if that doesn't work you go with your BATNA. So I'm just going to read very quickly the concept of BATNA, best alternative to a negotiated agreement. It is the course of action that a party engaged in negotiations will take if talks fail. See? And if we cannot reach an agreement on this, what are you going to do, Okay. It says, in negotiation theory, the best alternative to a negotiated agreement or BATNA refers to the most advantageous alternative course of action a party can take if negotiations fail and if agreement cannot be reached. So going in there, one, thinking win-win is important. But beyond the win-win, if that doesn't work, you need to be ready to go with something else. And maybe both parties, however many parties are involved, Can actually come away with something and be happy and content it's doable it's absolutely doable all right so that's it my friends we are at the end of day eight negotiate project agreements what you're going to find on the screen or below is the questions i have for today Uh, make sure you tackle those questions be aware of all the different little nuances in negotiating like this contract types. It's a topic to be understood. We have this in chapter 12 in the PMBOK guide, but in chapter seven, in chapter five, I think. I'm gonna miss this one, I'm not totally sure. It's either four or five, but I know the page it's 77 or 78 in the Agile Practice Guide, all right? Take a look at pages 77, and 78 in the Agile Practice Guide and get familiar with the different contract types. I know that we could be negotiating anything, you know, and when you think about negotiating, just to throw this in story points, you know, through empirical data, what you can do, right? Why not have some sort of trade offs bartering with evidence? Sometimes you got to show them the evidence, right? Sometimes you got to show them what the velocity has been historically. And you don't want to kill the team by promising what you cannot do. I hope this gives you some good ideas about how to tackle task eight about negotiating. Did I get that? I'm always saying task eight when I meant something. Okay, it is task eight. I got it. So there are 35 tasks and we've been going on this journey um, for the past eight days. This means we are about a fifth of the way there. That's not bad. You know, before you know it, you'll be done. I just wanted to emphasize, if you have not gotten the book, uh, PMP Exam Immersion, you should. It will help you. Going through these questions, uh, going through the rationale, it is going to help you. It's going to help you solidify your focus, and it's going to help you do a lot better. All right? I'll put a link below, and I'll see you tomorrow. Bye for now. Hello, my All friends. Right, How my are you doing? my friends. So why don't we jump straight into these questions that you've kind of seen on the screen so far. Are you ready? Let's take a look at the very first question. I'll read it, I'll give you a little bit of time to answer, jump in, answer the question, and let's compare notes. Here's the first one. You are negotiating a contract for shipping very well-defined raw materials from the vendor's location to your various warehouses worldwide. The vendor is, globally dispersed, is a globally dispersed partner With locations within 10 miles everywhere your company is located, in the spirit of good ethics, which contract type should you seek to put in place, with all fairness, to both parties? I'll give you a little bit of time. What do you think? All right, I hope you were able to get your solution squared away. So using the process of elimination, why don't we take a look at what could be the answer. So right here we have a few things talked about. It says very well defined That immediately should be a green light to the concept of fixed price, right? And then it says, the vendor is a globally dispersed partner with locations within 10 miles everywhere your company is located. So this means there's not a lot of uncertainty here. You're not traveling a far distance. 10 miles isn't far and it's a very well-defined raw material. So you wouldn't need time and materials because things are so well-defined and you wouldn't need a CPAF or a CPIF. To be quite honest, the best contract is B. Now you wouldn't want to throw money away for no reason, right? It doesn't talk about the need to deliver within a certain timeframe or any kind of incentive. So for that reason, since we have a very well-defined raw material and we have the location not being an uncertain factor, you know, we know where it's coming from and where it's going, in all fairness, and this was really just a red herring because, of course, you should be thinking fairness and ethics on all of your questions, right? So. With all fairness, B should be chosen. Firm fixed. Okay, now it doesn't say price at the end. That's a red herring in and of itself, right? The fact that it doesn't say price does not negate the validity of the option. So it says, which contract type? A firm fixed contract. So the best answer is B, okay? Okay. You don't throw money away, to be fair. Doing a cost-plus doesn't make sense because it's a well-defined raw material. Next, your company is in negotiations with three subcontracting firms on a very competitive turnkey project for work that is very predictable with requirements that are well-defined and not likely to change. You want to incentivize the sellers. Which contract type is the best one to use? Okay. Is it FPIF, FP-EPA, CPIF, or FFP? Now, in the spirit of the PMP exam, you do know you have roughly 1 minute, 15 seconds for each question. All right? So, if you need more time, hit the pause button. All right. So, I'm about to reveal the answer. Spoiler alert. FFP does not have any incentives. It says you want to incentivize the seller. That's the main thing, right? FP-EPA has no incentive, so it boils down to two. If you take note of what it said prior, it says with requirements that are well-defined and not likely to change. That's a case for fixed price. Coupled with the incentive fee that's needed, the best answer is A. Okay. So, PMBOK guide, it says, FPIF, fixed price contracts in general should be used when the requirements are well defined and not no significant changes to scope are expected. Let's move on to our next one. You're working on an Agile Aviation Administration project that has consistently delivered 150 to 200 story points each iteration. This project will revolutionize air travel by switching from radar to satellite-based flight tracking technology, along with other technological advances such as improved weather forecasting and communication systems. During Sprint 6, your CEO asks you to step things up a bit and commit to 200 story points. What should you do? So, I want you to take a look at the number of lines in this question, so roughly going on six. These days, the feedback is the questions could be long, so do keep that in mind. I'll give you a little bit of time to answer. All right. You need more time hit the pause button spoiler alert i'm about to reveal the answer so first one said negotiate terms based on your expert judgment well you got to remember that in the world of agile teamwork makes the dream work so this is an absolute no-no it's not based on you whoever you are you know it just says you are working and if you're a project manager, or if you're a product owner, or if you're a scrum master, whatever your role, it's not yours to negotiate based on your expert judgment. Let's take a look at option B. Negotiate terms based on empiricism. What is empiricism? It's all about learning by the doing. So you've got real data that shows the historical information. And you use that to predict the future. Not bad. Let's take a look at C. Negotiate terms based on goodwill and team synergy. While this sounds intelligent and nice, we don't negotiate based on goodwill. Oh, I'm feeling happy. I just want goodwill with you, customer, so I will grant you three wishes, three extra wishes. No, we don't do that. And it's not a question of team synergy. Team synergy is already built into the empiricism. So C is not better than B. Let's take a look at D. Negotiate terms based on story size and prioritization. Well, you don't negotiate terms based on size of a story. You negotiate based on reality, right? And you don't just prioritize and negotiate based on prioritization. While that is a good thing to do, your negotiation isn't based on prioritization. The question here isn't which stories, which would be more prioritization, right? The question here is how many. Now, even though you've done between 150 to 200, that is a wide band of 50 story points. So for the CEO to say, commit to 200, no less. You can't do that. You've got to negotiate based on empiricism, and you've got to consider the cone of uncertainty when you're doing that. So the best answer is B. All right, I hope that makes sense. Let's move on to our next question. Jack Brown has been working as project manager for the largely agile California high-speed rail project of 800 miles, of high-speed rail lines connecting Los Angeles and San Francisco. The customer has requested to have in place a particular non-negotiable element that is not executable using an agile approach. One of the vendors will not partner in an incremental collaborative way. Which approach should you employ? I'm going to give you some time to think about this one. All right, my friends, well done. Why don't we give it the countdown of three, two, and one? Let's take a look at the answer. So taking a look here, it says, you're working on a largely agile. It didn't say completely agile. It's a largely agile project. So with that in mind, you want to immediately begin looking for things that are not largely agile. So, B says use a predictive-oriented approach. That doesn't make sense because it said largely agile. Largely agile means it consists of agile and something else. And the only other thing it could consist of would, of course, be something predictive, right? So, it cannot be predictive only. So, B would be wrong. Towards the end, it said one of the vendors will not partner in an incremental collaborative way. Hold on to that word incremental because you're going to need it to eliminate one of the options that is clearly not incremental. And that is option D that says use an iterative approach with predictive workflow. Again, it's trying to make you think iterative is anything other than a one-time delivery. It's not. Iterative is a one-time delivery Take a look at the Agile Practice Guide pages eighteen and nineteen, and you'll see how iterative delivers one time. So option D is not helping because it is strictly a one-time delivery. Okay, now let's look at A. A says use an agile dash incremental approach. Well, it said it's largely agile, so we can't use an agile incremental is already built into agile so it doesn't make sense to say use an agile incremental approach because agile is both incremental and iterative so the best option is c use a largely agile hybrid approach common sense right i'm sure it didn't deceive a lot of you quite straightforward Let's move on to a final question. Two firms are in the middle of a negotiation and all is going well, and a positive outcome seems highly possible. Midway, a top executive joins the discussion from one of the sides, and he overwhelms collaboration. By the end of the episode, everyone ends up worse off. Which negotiation model does this describe? Think about it for a bit. And three, two, and one. Let's take a look at the answer the best answer by process of elimination. And if you're aware of the Pembok Guide 7th edition, Pembok Guide 7th edition has some content around the models the three models it talks about win win, lose win, or win lose, and lose lose. Okay, now. If you take a look at what is being said, if everyone, it didn't say one person ends up worse off. Everyone ends up worse off. That points to a situation where the parties don't win. Nobody wins, right? So, it's not win-win and it's not lose-win. Zero sum is actually the same as a lose-win. It's not that. Zero sum means when you add up the win and the loss, it's zero. But that's not the case with a lose-lose, right? It's not one party wins, another loses, no. Lose-lose is where everyone ends up worse off. So the best option, based on definition, and based on what we know about these models, is lose-lose. So I hope you found this to be helpful. Let's take a look at our open-ended questions. One more time. Those are our open-ended questions for the day. Make sure you go through them, read the pages I've recommended, and if there are any questions, you put them in the comments below. If you're looking for the immersion book, going down to the Praiseian site, you'll find the immersion book. It's a very helpful book going through every task day by day. So at the end of every day, I'm expecting you to go into the book, do the reading, and take the quiz in the book. You've got a couple or even more questions every day in the book. All right? So... Make sure you do that, and it will pay off in the long run. All right. Thank you very much for joining me. We've come to the end of day eight. Keep up the days, my friend. If you missed any of the days, look for the videos on day seven and previous, and I look forward to seeing you on day nine. Just by virtue of how it works, we are very, very close to being out of 40. We have eight out of 40. That's one out of five. That's 20% of the way, my friends. You're doing well. I'll see you tomorrow. Don't forget to hit like, subscribe, and share with your friends.